This morning, we are going to continue working our way through Genesis. We, we kicked off uh, the new mini-series last week when we moved into the story of Jacob. Um, so we've been working through this year th- slowly through the book of Genesis, and uh, it feel, it, it's hard to believe we, we've, we've, we've made it all the way to this place. It um, feels like just yesterday we started. Um, but we've been working through, for the past few months, the story of the, the what, quote-unquote, fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. And kind of how God called Abraham out of the place where he was into this new place in which he's going to build a, a new nation on the, on the earth. The mission of Israel is always to be a, a light to the rest of the world. That they, they were supposed to, they, that God says to Abraham, I'm going to interact with you in a special way. He says, I will make you into a great nation and then you will bless the world around you. And so the, the stories we've been looking at we are, are the creation of that nation. And what's so interesting, and, what I, and I actually love about the stories that we've gone through, as we've gone through the stories of Abraham and Isaac, uh, we see that, that the fathers of, of Israel are flawed people, right? Um, which, it, it can be lost on us, and we've mentioned it a few weeks, it can be lost on us how unique the story told in that way actually is. Uh, if you are to read the, fo- the, the founding stories of any of the nations, major nations in the world, uh, including even like the American story, right? It's caricaturized to make the people who eventually found the nation be almost superhuman godlike, right? When you talk about the founding fathers of America, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, you learn about them uh, like Hamilton, like these are awesome dudes that did everything great, which they, they, they do deserve some credit, and we know they were flawed human beings, but we don't tell that part of the story often. Uh, if you were to follow the, the founding of Egypt is straight from the gods, right? Most of your nation founding stories t- take out the bad parts, uh, but not in Scripture. As we've seen as we've walked through the stories of all of these people, Abraham consistently made mistakes, consistently fell short, and yet God keeps redirecting him in that space. We saw through the story of Isaac that his story is actually filled with tragedy, that his relationship, Abraham and Isaac's relationship was broken and flawed. Uh, when we, the, at, we, we saw a few weeks ago that when, even when Sarah dies, Isaac's not around. He doesn't even come to her funeral, which is, is we see the trauma and the brokenness and the hurt in those spaces. Last week, we kicked off the story of Esau and Jacob. Lisa kicked us off last week. And in that story, right out of the gate, we see more trauma. We saw that that Jacob is known as a trickster, that he's constantly trying to to manipulate situations to his own advantage, and he actually does that for most of his life, as we'll see as we work through his story. Last week, Lisa began the story of Jacob and Esau's life. and, and we, we talk specifically about the two stories in which Jacob actually steals uh, two incredibly important things from his brother Esau. Esau is the oldest of the two of them. And so based on tradition, Esau should get two things. One is called a birthright, which is essentially all of the inheritance, right? So when dad passes away, we got to do something with all these flocks and herds and other things. And so they were supposed to go to Esau. He sells that to Jacob for a pot of soup. And so Jacob now has taken that from him. Now, in that story, we understand why Esau would be frustrated later on looking back, but does own some of the fault there, right? He made that deal. But then we looked at the second part of that story in which Rachel, so that's also Esau's mother, uh, works with Jacob to then steal his blessing as well. The blessing being the, 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 the blessing that God gave to Abraham and then to Isaac and now to Jacob, which is the 
Uh, you will be the founder of the nation of Israel. Very big deal for them in that space. In that place, we saw that Jacob straight up tricks Isaac to get it. If you remember, he puts goat skin on, brings him some prepared meat, even smells like Esau so that, and Isaac's almost blind so he can't tell uh, who it is and steals the blessing. That's where we ended last week. We're going to pick up the story today at that particular point, right after, um, right after I, uh, Jacob has stolen the blessing from Esau. And we're going to look at it from Esau's perspective. I've I got to imagine he's furious. Uh, we, not only do we have to imagine, we'll see it in Scripture a little bit, but can you imagine what he has to go through? Uh, he's, he's lost his birthright. He's not going to get his inheritance now, which he's got to feel for a young man really daunting. Then he sees that his brother and his mother, which that part, I don't know why that hadn't struck me in the same way until I was reading through it this time, that his mom actually works against him here. That's a big deal too. Um, Work together to steal his blessing as well. And and so so how, how is he feeling about that? Well, we actually see in Genesis 27, which will be today if you want to follow along. Well, he's... He's fired up, and what is he going to do with that anger? Well, Esau says it. He says this. Esau says to his father, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches, richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau's ticked off. We can kind of relate to that. We understand that. And essentially what he's saying in that, in, in that last part there is, My dad's old. He's going to die soon. And when he does, so does Jacob. I won't kill him beforehand. Honor, to honor his dad or something along those lines. Uh, but as soon as dad dies, so does Jacob. He begins his plot for revenge. Now, the question I want to ask this morning is, is how, do, how does that hit you when you hear it? If you were reflecting on what you would do if your brother stole your birthright or, or your inheritance... And then, him, you, then your mom and your brother then stole like, the legacy that you're going to get moving forward. What would that do inside of you? How would you respond? I think when we wrestle with that, I think it's easy when we read this story to think that Esau's the bad guy here, that we can't relate to him at all. Why would we want to? We wouldn't, none of us would feel like we want to kill somebody, except when we slow down a little bit, I wonder if we can relate to it a little more than we think. Maybe we don't have the desire to actually end someone's life, but my guess is if those things happened to you, a lot of us would think, the thoughts we'd be thinking about would be about how to get even, right? I just got ripped off. I just got mistreated. I just had my mom and my brother work against me. I need to get even. I need revenge. In that space, I think a lot of us can relate to Esau's feeling, feelings, at least. He hurt me, so I want him to hurt. 
Now, maybe we don't like to speak those words out of our mouth, but if you're anything like me, those feelings are there in some way or another. She broke my heart, so I hope your heart gets broken. We actually write country songs about that, right? right? I hope that he's everything you wanted him to be, and then I hope he cheats. You've heard that song, right? It's literally that concept played itself out in a country song slash pop rock. I don't know. Where does it fit these days? So many mixings. But I want, essentially, we get into our minds, I want you to feel the pain that you caused me. I think it's pretty normal to the human experience, isn't it? We see it in Esau's story here. I think as good of people as we want to be, we, we can't help that those feelings come up inside of us. Now, whether or not we actually act on those feelings, at least we can relate to the experience. So I want to spend a little bit of time this morning exploring what the, the root of what's happening in that experience. Maybe some of you remember back to Genesis 3 when we talked about the nature of sin. One of the things that we talked about in January was the fact that all things that exist were created by God. Now, maybe that seems obvious to you, uh, but that has significant impact on how we view the world. Uh, in the Genesis 1 story, God creates all things, and at the end of each day, at the end of each movement of creation, he's, he declares those things to be what? Good, right? So, and it's, it's, a, it's a repeated rhythm over and over and over again. I create the, sky, the stars in the skies, those are good. I create the birds, I create everything that exists, and it was declared good. Everything that exists was created by God. Which means, at the core, all things actually contain at least a remnant of good, the fact that they exist. We said in Genesis 3, when we talked about that as well, the other side of that coin as well, the enemy has created nothing, right? So then what is evil? The easiest way for me to wrap my mind around what evil is, is, is the study of hot and cold. Maybe if you're a scientist, you know how that works. There actually isn't anything called cold. Cold is simply the absence of heat, right? So uh, you, you, heat is a thing that we can measure. Cold is just the absence of that thing, so, right? It's, the, it's a descripting word of saying there isn't heat there. We call it cold. Evil works in the same way. Good exists, and evil is just the absence of good. Following with me? Okay, so when we're talking in Genesis 3, God created all things good. The enemy has created nothing. So then what is evil? Evil is the good that God created twisted away from where it was meant to be. Following? God, the devil takes the good things that God makes and twists them away from where they were intended to be. For instance, right? Sex is good, but we know what that can be twisted into. We see it all over our society. It was, it was, meant, it was given to us to be a, a way for, for, for couples to be united in, that partic in, in a way that's special and mysterious, and then we can make it into something else. We see it in so many different things. Rest is good, but that can be twisted into laziness or apathy or being lethargic. It relates to what our story today in this way. Justice is good. See, I think the reason that revenge is something we can all relate to in one way or another is due to the fact that God created us to care about right and wrong. Righteousness, rightness and wrongness are just innate in us. You can see it from the time, little, you can see it in little kids, the, the concept of fairness, which if you're a parent of little kids, already you're annoyed, right? 
Because how often do you have debates about fairness, right? Well, that's not fair. He got more, right? You know, you get it. I can see all the parents smiling. You know. On the one hand, that's, that is annoying sometimes. I've been there. However, that innate rightness and wrongness, there's a right way for something to be and a wrong way for something to be uh, is just inside of us. Now, we, we might have disagreements about what is right and wrong in those cases, but th- that's not the point. The point is inside of us all, we have some pull towards that, to, towards justice. <clears throat> all of us, when we see a child exploited, have an internal reaction, don't we? We know down on our core that it's just wrong, that it's unjust, it's contrary to the way that things should be. And we, to varying degrees, when we see something like that, want to do something about it, don't we? It's a feeling of justice that you were created with. There's a wrongness in the world that ought to be set right. There are things that were twisted away from where they should be, and we want to set them back to right. That's actually the call of the church. That's what Jesus invites us into, is to, may it be on earth that is in heaven, that can we take the things that were twisted away from where they were meant to be in heaven and set them right again. That's an internal space of justice. Throughout the Bible, God, an attribute of God that's on display often is his attribute of justice. I am just. I am the most just judge, he'll say. I understand what, it, what I understand the, God's saying. I understand the core of rightness and wrongness, and I'm going to work with you to set those things right. When we see someone disadvantaged because of their race or their economic status or because they have different worldview than the majority, something inside of us stirs and we want chains. Just as is an attribute of God and one he shares with us, we desire wrongness to be made right. Which, again, is actually the charge that God gives all the way back in Genesis 3. God says to Adam and Eve, you guys broke this thing, and there are consequences for that, but you and I will work together to put it right. Justice. Innate in all of us is a desire for justice, for the wrong things of this world to be made right. And We can debate about what that looks like, but that desire is universal. But we're not talking about justice today, are we? We're talking about revenge but maybe you can already see where the two of them overlap. Esau was slighted, seriously slighted. His brother took his inheritance and robbed him of his blessing through trickery. There's an injustice there. There's something wrong that was done there. What Jacob did to Esau wasn't right, and we saw that last week. When I read that story, I feel for Esau because something about what Jacob does, I know in my heart wasn't the way it should have been. That Jacob created pain and hurt and a debt. We even see it when Esau cries out to Isaac, do you not have any blessing left? You hear his heartbreak. Which is the thing that triggers Esau's anger. It's the thing that triggers our anger as well. That thing was not okay. Now maybe that feels obvious to you. Maybe it even feels a little frivolous just to declare that it's not okay. But I do think that it's something that we can often forget to reflect on. Probably because it's really hard to reflect on that. When we're slighted, it's hard for us to reflect on the, on the fact that, it's, that what happened to us was not okay. We either try to ignore it, stuff it down, keep it away, I don't want to look at it at all. Or it, or it conflates into something different so we can feel some kind of different emotion around it. 
If you're holding hurt this morning, similar to Esau, if you have feelings of revenge or, or, or even a desire for justice, what happened to you was not okay, objectively. What that family member did to you or that partner put you through or the pain the attacker caused, the emotional turmoil that that, that one comment created in you, it's important for us to reflect on those things and begin by saying, that wasn't okay, that caused me pain. The pain I'm experiencing, again, whether I should be or not doesn't matter, it is, and I am. See, if we skip the step where we reflect on what happened, often one of two things happen. Like we already said, one, either we stuff it down and avoid it, forgive and forget, which we'll tackle in a second here, or we go down the path of Esau. We want revenge, though we might call it justice. I think we often do that. See, when we don't take account of the situation that happened, we don't reflect on the pain that was actually caused, it tends to become kind of this emotional quagmire. If you've ever lived in that space, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where the, where the feelings are always kind of there, but they're kind of ambiguous. They kind of shift around. Kind of, they kind of move a little bit, and they come out weirdly uh, to the side because we're hurt, we're angered, we're sad, and we're triggered all at the same time. And so it becomes it, 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 an unreflected hurt in that space that it becomes incredibly difficult to understand why we're feeling all of those things. Sure, it's because that person did a bad thing, but that's often as far as we get. We don't take account of where we're actually hurt and what we're actually feeling in those spaces. I would argue from that place, it's impossible to work towards justice. When we don't have a good account of what we're actually feeling, where the pain actually was, it's impossible to work towards justice. Because the definition of justice is setting right what was broken. If I don't understand the extent of the brokenness I have in myself, how do I begin to set it right? And so often then we just result, or we, 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 um, we uh, resolve to, for revenge instead. A good question that I've been forced to ask myself through a counselor, uh, when I'm in a situation in which justice and revenge feel like they're running close together, he encouraged me to just ask myself a simple question. What could the person do or what could be done to them to restore you? I'm angry with person A. They've hurt me. And so I'm saying I'm just I'm executing justice in that space. I'm setting right what was wrong. But if I can't answer the question, what could he or she do to be made right, I'm flirting with revenge, aren't I? because I'm just wanting them to hurt without any plan for restoration at all or even any plan to just resolve the one slight. Now, if you're struggling to answer that question, let me be really honest here too. It's much easier to ask that question uh, than it is to answer that question because often those things are confusing and they do overlap in some way. But if we, can't, if we don't have language to, uh, to answer the question, how, how would this be made right, we're probably wrestling with revenge, and that's something we should be aware of. Now, I'm guessing that there might be some of you out there that might be a little annoyed or frustrated or even a little angry about those kind of things. Because some of you have experienced some deep wounds in your life caused by other people. 
I get that. I'm, I've lived in that space too. And so the, when you ask the question, what could, they be do, what could they do or what could be done to them to be made right, your answer is, I don't know how that person could ever make what they did right. Right? I think that's fair. The wounds are too fresh. Right? You don't know how you can handle that question and the, and the pain that it would take to reflect on it. I've been there too. Maybe you're thinking, are you saying we should just forgive and forget, right? Like nothing happened. No, we're not saying that at all. Which brings us back to our second response. We can either bring it out into a space where we want to get revenge. I want them to hurt like I was hurt. Or we can actually do what Jacob ends up doing. In Genesis 27:42, when Rebekah was told her older son Esau, what her older son Esau had said, he sent for her, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what, what you did to him, I'll send word for you and come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Rachel's response is, eventually Esau will forgive and forget. Esau's mad right now, which is understandable, but with time, we'll be all good. Now, I'll encourage you, we're not going to play it out all the way today, but I encourage you to pay attention to how that works moving forward, because we're actually going to get an insight through the, the upcoming weeks into how that works out. <clears throat> But throughout the process, the thought process of that is if I can create space between me and the person who's angry or the person who hurt me, then everything will just get better. And I, I actually think that if you grew up in, a, in some versions of church, uh, we actually um, made that worse. Uh, when I was growing up, the idea of forgive and forget was, was pretty common. It was, it was taught this way, God says to forgive, so I will, and that's that. But I'll tell you, I've sat with so many people who've tried to do that. Just forgive and forget. And if you've tried to do that, how did it work for you? Probably poorly. We said it a few weeks ago, intentional separation for a time might be helpful. Hey, I am too hot right now to deal with this thing. I need to take a day, a week, a an hour to cool off, to gain perspective and come back. That's healthy. Intentional time to cool off and gain perspective is healthy. Unintentional time of just pushing it away is not. It doesn't just get better on its own and it tends to actually continue to, to gurgle, to, to percolate to whatever word you want and then shoot out in weird directions where all of a sudden, why am I so mad about this thing? Oh, it's actually this other thing. So I do want to talk for just a couple minutes on the idea of forgive and forget. And I'm guessing that some of you might have wrestled with that idea the same way I did growing up. And if you've wrestled with that and it hasn't gone well for you, that can create feelings of shame or guilt or worthlessness. Because you're like, this thing happened and I can't forget about it and it still affects me every day, and I, but I'm supposed to. And so it, it's, for some of it, it even moves into maybe it's even challenging my idea of salvation, right? If, if let you Forgive lest you be forgiven, that kind of idea. But you realize you can't do it. For those of you who feel that way, I want to first say, I'm sorry you've had to deal with that. 
And I want to tell you that the Bible never says to forgive and forget. That is not a thing that's in Scripture. Where it comes from is the idea that God says, I will remember your sins no more. It never once, by the way, in Scripture says that God will forget your sins. It says, I will remember them no more. Now, maybe you're like, well, that's the same thing as forgetting. It's not. The Hebrew word, does anybody, I've taught this twice, and I gave you a thing to try to remember it. I would love it if somebody did. Does anybody remember the Hebrew word for remember? Not that surprised. But uh, this is a little thing that will help you remember it. This is how I learned it when I was in Hebrew class. Uh, the word is zakar, zakar, to remember. And the little thing that I would tell myself is, I, do, do I remember where I parked zakar? There you go, right? That's remember in Hebrew. Now you will know. So uh, this is, so zakar is the Hebrew word to remember, uh, but it has a deeper meaning than just simply, we, we, we translate it to remember, uh, but there's more to it. When they're, when they're talking about remembering in Scripture, the idea is to call it to the front of one's mind in order to take action according to it, right? So in the book of Genesis, we, already, we saw earlier that God remembered Noah, Okay? What that's saying is not that, you know, God and Michael were up in heaven playing poker and he's like, oh, shoot, I forgot about Noah floating out there. Like, that's not what it says, right? What it's saying is that God called Noah to the forefront of his mind in order to take action according to him. I'm going to end the flood now. Uh, so when God says, I will remember your sins no more, it's not saying I'm going to intellectually forget about them, lose the ability to recall them. What he's saying is I'm no longer going to take action according to them. Follow me? Uh, that's what it means to remember. When we, <clears throat> so forgiveness uh, d- d- does not mean you need to forget things or pretend like it didn't happen. Forgiveness does not require you to give up justice, which I think is a struggle that many of us have. When someone slights us, and we've talk, I'll go through this briefly and I can talk about it more in depth if you want to wrestle with some of your own individual scenarios. When someone slights us or hurts us, and I've given this example before, sorry, but it's an easy one to relate to, uh, it creates a physical and an emotional debt. Actually, when it comes to forgiveness, the physical debt is easy to to deal with. If Luigi steals $100 from me, he breaks into my house and steals $100 from me, the physical debt he's created is whatever it costs for me to repair the door that he kicked in and the $100, right? He owes me that now. That's a debt that he created from, from the stealing that he did. Now, we can make that right. I can forgive that debt by saying, you don't have to fix my door and you don't owe me the $100 anymore. Now, I have forgiven the physical debt, right? The problem, that's actually the easier of the two parts. The problem is it also creates an emotional debt. Now, I'm scared about the safety of my house and I have to deal with that every day. That's a debt that he caused me. Now I don't trust him anymore or maybe I don't trust people anymore because they can do that. That's a debt that he caused me. And that gets really messy and really tricky and really confusing, doesn't it? What what are all the different ways that the emotional debt could be created? If you've been slighted by someone, you know how confusing and tricky that is. When we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about releasing physical and emotional debts. You no longer owe me for that thing. That doesn't mean that that thing didn't cause me pain, that doesn't mean that I don't still have to process and work through that pain. That doesn't mean that, I, uh, that there might not be justice for the thing that you did. Luigi may have to spend some time in jail if he stole, broke into my house and stole 
That doesn't mean I didn't release him from the emotional debt he owed me, but the justice is still there to set right things. Does that make sense to you? <clears throat> With that understanding of forgiveness, what we realize then, that m- more often than not, the primary beneficiary of forgiveness is not the person who caused the harm. I think for many of us, that's what we think about forgiveness, that I, the, they are going to be forgiven. They are the primary beneficiary. But I think more often than not, that's just not true. Because what we, <clears throat> what we see in that space is that, again, especially if, we, if justice is still going to be executed, the primary beneficiary of forgiveness is me. Because when I hold that debt un, 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 unreflected or unprocessed, it, it causes pain and hurt inside of me. Cause anger and rage. It's, those, it's that healing that can't come and starts coming out sideways. You, this person owes me and I'm going to make sure they pay up. I need revenge or I need to not think about it. That never produces life in us, does it? To release that, to say you no longer owe me your physical debt, you no longer owe me the emotional debt, releases us from that anger. Again, that doesn't mean that then the relationship's reconciled. If Luigi breaks into my house and steals $100, I'm probably slower to invite him to come back. And that's okay as we work through that trust again. I might watch him a little bit closer for a while because that was a tendency and that's okay because that's a trust that was broken. The trust and, 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 and relationship uh, needs work to come back, even if I say you don't owe me your emotional debt. I'm not going to make you pay that back and you have to earn the trust back because that was lost. In many cases, the primary beneficiary of forgiveness is not the person being forgiven. It's not for them, it's for you. And we actually see that in Isaac's prophetic words to Esau. He says to Esau, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off your neck. See, I wonder if Isaac knows what Esau's anger is going to do to him. If anyone would, Esau would, or Isaac would, because we talked through his story last month. Isaac describes it as a yoke, which is a farming tool used to keep oxen restricted. Uh, It's a burden. It's heavy, right? And it's restricting. You can't move out of those particular spaces. The the process of forgiveness is exceedingly hard. It's not a one-time event. It's a long and painful process, one that that requires constant self-reflection, constant humility. It's a process that feels unfair. And And that's because it often is unfair. It's a response to an injustice, which by its very nature is unfair. And it's a process for many of us that feels like it's not worth it. Why would I process through all of that? Doesn't that just give the person who hurt me more power over me? I think is the lie that many people tell us, or many of us tell ourselves. That, I have, that they now can cause me even more pain as I try to process through the pain they caused me in the first place. But I think if we reflect, it is painful. It's unfair that we have to deal with it. We shouldn't have to. That's the unjust part of it. And yet... 
like Isaac describes it to Esau, it becomes a yoke for us, something that burdens us, restricts us, that keeps us from experiencing other things. If you've been hurt, you know that. You walk into a certain space and you can't enjoy it or you can't experience it because it triggers those feelings again. The unresolved feelings that we have. It's a yoke. It's restricting. It holds us back. You can't be around this particular person at all, not even in their proximity, because it creates all of this anger, rage, and frustration. That's a yoke that restricts us. Isaac's prayer for Esau is that eventually he'll be able to throw off that yoke of anger. And we'll see, actually see that play itself out through the last few weeks before, the next few months as well. Because of that hurt, the process can feel like it's not worth it. I've shared with you guys many, I've shared from up this space a, a major moment in my life where I had to wrestle with those feelings. I'm not going to share it again today. If you haven't heard it, I'd be happy to tell it to you personally. But I've had, I've had people in my life, person in particular, who hurt me deeply. And the process of forgiving her was excruciating. I sat with a counselor who essentially made me sit there and take out each instance, look at it, feel it again, which, by the way, oh, and then release it. And do that over and over and over and over and over again. The reason I bring up that story again is because for the first half of that process, it did not feel worth it. It was painful. I wept, which I'm not a weeper, but I did. It caused pain again, which made me tell myself the lie, this pain isn't fair. You don't get to cause me more pain because of the pain you already did. But... As we played that process through, my counselor continually was telling me, do you actually believe that forgiveness is the best way? Because the Bible says it is. For a season, my answer was no, I don't think so, I think. But I can tell you as someone that's walked that walk, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And that's real. And I'm sorry if you've got to walk that walk too. And I'm not even trying to put hyperbole on it, one of the best things I ever did too. The process was difficult, painful, and excruciatingly hard, but actually life-producing, life-filling, and, and, um, and, and has pu and pushed into so many other areas of my life. It, it forced me to reflect on how much of that pain was affecting my marriage. Maybe some of you have been there. Jen's not my mom, thank God. <laughs> and sometimes I, I treated her like she was that I assumed the thing that she was doing is the same thing my mom did with the same intentions, and so that would be my response. That that unreflected pain was coming out sideways in there because I hadn't dealt with it yet. I hadn't forgiven it yet. That I was still owed for it, and so I'm going to hold on to it as revenge. She will hurt like I hurt. And that, I don't love saying it, but it was, that was part of my life for a while. I can tell you as someone who's worked through that, Holding on to those things does not bring life. Revenge won't satisfy. I would love to be able to stand here and say I never did things for the sake of revenge, but I did. There were actions I took or, or words I said that I didn't think, I, at the time I would have called them justice. I'm just setting things right. In reflection, I realized they were revenge. I want you to hurt. Why? Because you hurt me. Each of those moments now, as, as I reflect and look back on them, are, are embarrassing. 
They're the things that actually cause me a little bit of shame, though I found forgiveness from God in that too. Revenge never satisfies. We see it in the movies, right? The guy spends his entire life to catch the person to get revenge. He does, now what? Because mm-hmm. the stuff underneath that uh, was really what was driving us there. Revenge doesn't satisfy. Equally important is avoidance doesn't heal either. Squashing it down and keeping it in that weird corner of our psyche that we don't have to look at uh, doesn't make it better. It just makes it fester and come out in weird ways. What we see in the story of Jacob and Esau and what we'll continue to see as we focus on forgiveness moving forward is faithfully engaging with our pain through the lens of Scripture, through, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit working with us, is, is the thing that produces life. For whatever you've gone through, no matter how bad it was, there is hope that there can be something better. There's hope you can throw off that pain and the way it owns you to, to actually take away its power. And I think that comes through forgiveness. It comes from releasing the debt the person owes. Not for their benefit. No, sometimes, again, justice is, is a thing. But for yours. Our desire for revenge, our desire to satisfy our anger, there's actually a Buddhist proverb that describes it as drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. So often that's what happens in our anger. And so as we begin to begin our talk of forgiveness, which we'll look at through this whole little mini-series, I want to encourage you just to spend some time reflecting on the areas in which you might be holding pain. Ask yourself the question that we said at the beginning, what could this person do or what could be done to them to make this thing right? If you don't have an answer, that makes sense. Many of us don't. I didn't for many years and still in some ways, I'll be honest, don't in some aspects too. It'll come up weirdly. Actually, Jen and I just had a conversation about that yesterday. Like, holy cow, this thing is from that. I thought I worked through that already. I guess I got to again, right? Ask yourself the question, what could they do to be set right? If you can't answer it, Don't feel guilt or shame about that. That's not what we're aimed at. But just realize there's unreflected hurt there that we could do something better with. Engage with what it is and see if you can find, actually identify what those emotional debts are and see if you can actually release them. It is, and I will just reiterate this to close today, it is so much easier for me to stand up here and say that than it will be for you to actually do that. It is hard. I get that. It's a process. You may have to go back to it four or five, six times. But I'll also say it's worth it. That there's life on the other side there that's, more in, that, that's lighter and freer and brighter than you can imagine. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just pray that you meet each of us in our pain. Lord, each of the, so many of us have been hurt in one way or another. And that's not okay. Those wounds are real. We do have to deal with them. We pray that you give us perspective to see those things as they are. Pray you give us courage, strength to pull them out into the open, to feel them again. And then truly give us strength to let them go. Not so that 
Not, to just, uh, not for the sake of just ignoring it or forgetting it, but for our own internal healing so that we don't have to hold on to those debts that create the rage and the anger that hurt us so deeply. You've told us the best way to live is to forgive, and we pray that you give us eyes and hearts for that vision. Amen.